Welcome to Shelf Logic, the official podcast of the Maricopa County Library District. Welcome to Shelf Logic. My name is Kelly, a librarian at the Northwest Regional Library. Hello, I'm Roxy, also at the Northwest Regional Library. On today's show, we are going to discuss individuals who have made their mark in their field but are not well known to the general public. Today, we will be discussing Yuo Kusama and Andy Warhol, both of whom are artists. Kusama is known for her theme of dots, repetition, and infinity in her work. Warhol is known for making art out of pop culture icons and everyday objects. Kusama was born in Japan on March 22, 1929. She was the youngest of four children in a wealthy Japanese family. Her family ran a big wholesale business that sold seeds and seedlings to grow flowers and trees. Kusama's childhood was not pleasant. Her parents were in an unhappy arranged marriage and resented each other. Kusama's mother was abusive towards her. Kusama became interested in painting at a young age as a way to escape her troubles. By the age of 10, she was using watercolors, oils, and pastels. She became obsessed with polka dots and regularly included polka dots and nets in her work. From a young age, she used to see visions of her room and her entire body being covered in polka dots. As a way to cope with her fear and trauma, she drew the visions she saw. This theme persisted throughout her career. Kusma said, Our Earth is only one polka dot among a million of stars in the cosmos. Polka dots are a way to infinity. When we obliterate nature and our bodies with polka dots, we become part of the unity of our environment. During World War II, Kuzma was sent to work in a factory where she sewed parachutes for the military. She spent most of her adolescence working in wartime conditions, and the experience inspired her to paint anti-war artwork. Despite her mother's disapproval, Kusma left home at the age of 20 to study art at Kyoto Municipal School of Arts and Crafts. She studied Japanese-style painting and graduated in 1949. Kusma produced art at a rapid rate, and her talent was recognized by Japanese galleries. Art venues all around Japan exhibited hundreds of her works at a time and she held her first solo exhibition in 1952. Although very successful throughout Japan in the early 1950s, Kusuma dreamed of experimenting with Western art techniques. The Japanese art community shunned Western influence during this period, so Kusuma decided to relocate to the United States in 1957. While living as a struggling artist in New York, Kusuma began to paint her famous Infinity Net series. These paintings are made of seemingly endless circles that cover the entire campus. Kusuma's brightly colored works of art fit right into the pop art movement, which was dominating the American art scene. Throughout the 1960s, Kusuma created happenings where she would cover canvases, people, and even entire rooms of polka dots. In 1963, she began creating her infinity mirrored room which she filled with polka dotted objects and hanging lights. The mirrors reflected endlessly into each other, obliterating the viewer's sense of space. 
Did you know that the Phoenix Art Museum has a Kuzma work on display titled, You Who Are Getting Obliterated in the Dancing Swarm of Fireflies? It was created in 2005. The piece is in a dark room lined with mirrors on every surface and strands of looping LED lighting suspended from the ceiling. This room feels like a vast, infinite galaxy of lighting and allows the viewer to enter and be surrounded or obliterated by Kusama's fireflies. Kusama's Infinity Mirror Room explores the psychedelic sensations of the self and the artist's ongoing hallucinations that started when she was a child. So I actually saw this work of art in person at the Phoenix Art Museum. It was like, it felt like you were in a vast space and it was really pretty and dark. And the Maricopa County Library District has culture passes that you can check out. So you can receive two free adult admissions to the Phoenix Art Museum to check out Kusama's work in but passes on around a first come first basis. So check the catalog to see if there's any available at a library near you. Over the next day, guy, Kusama worked on her series of infinity nets, paintings, soft sculptures, collages, films, and installations that featured repetitive motifs and alluded to her hallucinations. In 1973, she returned to Japan, and in 1977, moved by her own choice into a psychiatric hospital, where she still lives today. Kusuma purchased a nearby studio to create her art. For her, artwork is medicine. She said, I fight pain, anxiety, and fear every day, and the only method I have found that relieves my illness is creating art. For almost the past 40 years, Kuzma has spent every day from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. in her studio, creating hundreds of paintings, collaborating with major fashion houses, and in designing installations. She established the Kusuma Fashion Company in 1968 and collaborated with Lancome, Marc Jacobs, and Louis Vuitton. In 2017, she opened her own museum. The Maricopa County Library District has many books about Kusuma on its shelf. They are 33 Artists in Three Acts by Sarah Thornton. This book reads, like it's an interview in a magazine, you can catch a glimpse of her day-to-day -day life and learn about her art. We have also Daily Rituals, Women at Work by Mason Curry, Women in Art, 50 Fearless Creatives Who Inspire the World by Rachel Ignorce, the biographical film, Kusuma, Infinity, which is also available on Overdrive. And you can search Kusuma's name in our subscribed databases, such as World History and Context, Britannical Library Encyclopedia, and Academic One File to bring up articles about her and her heart art. Interesting. What did you find interesting about Kusum? In 1963, she created Aggregation 1000 Boat Show, which featured a rowing boat filled with phallic sculptures that was installed in a room with 999 black and white photographic reproductions of the same boat that was papered on its walls. Three years later, Warhol imitated her treatment of walls with his cow wallpaper. Kusma said about Warhol, we're like enemies in the same boat. 
Now to segue a bit further into the subject of Andy Warhol, I am going to talk about this American artist, film director, and producer who was a leading figure in the visual art movement known as pop art. Warhol, born as Andrew Warhol, liked to shroud himself in mystery. He never gave his background and made it all up differently every time that he was asked. Therefore, his exact birth date and birthplace only add to the mystery. Based on information from the Andy Warhol Museum in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, he was born on August 6, 1928 in Pittsburgh. He was the son of a construction worker and embroiderer from Czechoslovakia. According to his college records, he attended the Carnegie Institute of Technology in Pittsburgh from 1945 to 1949, receiving a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree in pictorial design. After his graduation, Warhol arrived in New York City, where he made a meager living in advertising display work. He took some of his drawings to Glamour magazine and received a commission to make drawings of shoes. As these drawings were published and admired, he then decided to work for a shoe chain. In 1957, a shoe advertisement brought him the Art Directors Club medal. His work appeared in Vogue and Harper's Bazaar magazines, and in 1959, he exhibited his gold shoe drawings in a New York City gallery. In 1960, Warhol began painting pictures with no commercial market in mind. He created a series on comic strips such as Dick Tracy, Popeye, and Superman, as well as his highly recognized paintings of Coca-Cola bottles and Campbell soup cans, arranged in seemingly endless rows that were ridiculed when they were first shown. It has been noted that he ended up making $70,000 that year. Critical success came in 1962 as pop art was just becoming an acceptable art form. His fascination with silkscreen as an instrument for mass production led him to open a studio dubbed The Factory. Here is where he later made his films. Some of his avant-garde films were the forerunners of the adult film market of the 1970s and 1980s. The lo location became a center for pop and would-be pop stars. It attracted a wide variety of glamorous people and an assortment of characters in the art and performing worlds. In fact, from 1977, Warhol directed or produced nearly 150 films of varying quality and subject matter. 50 of the films have been preserved by the Museum of Modern Art. In 1968, Warhol's celebrity status nearly cost him his life. Moments after Valerie Solanas, a radical feminist and author, entered his sixth floor office on June 3rd, carrying two guns and a massive paranoid grudge. She thought he was going to steal her manuscript as he had ignored her phone calls. The attack resulted in inflicted serious internal wounds. Warhol's slow recovery included a two-month hospital stay and a turn to a new creative direction, his post-pop art period. From 1970 onward, 
he increasingly turned to producing portraits of cult figures, prominent persons, and personal friends, displaying a softer, more delicate imagery than his earlier pop art painting. These portraits were of figures such as Mao Zedong, Jimmy Carter, Richard Nixon, John Wayne, Elvis Presley, Elizabeth Taylor, Jackie O, John Lennon, Mick Jagger, and the iconic portrait of Marilyn Monroe, just to name a few. In addition, he created self-portraits, which are integral to his collection, as Warhol is just as famous as his A-list subjects. His extensive collection of folk art was exhibited in 1977 at the Museum of Modern Art in Manhattan. In 1981, he undertook a series of myth paintings in which the subject matter treated mythical figures from popular cultural sources, such as advertisements, comic strips, and films. These works included Dagwood, Mickey Mouse, and Superman. Later, in 1983, he created a series of endangered species paintings which depicted various threatened wildlife. As a social commentator, a role which he denied, Warhol had the uncanny ability to mirror the trends and fads of his time. Recognizing the elements of an urban mass society heavily influenced by symbols, images, and mass media, he made those symbols and images the real subjects of his art. For Warhol and other pop artists, these images took on a reality of their own. They were not only shaped by, but also reshaped popular culture. Warhol's untimely death resulted in that his recovery from the gunshot wounds took forever and were never fully complete. He was left with a lifetime of trouble eating and swallowing, as well as issues with his abdominal muscle. He died of complications after a fairly routine operation on February 22, 1987. The auction of his possessions, in itself a cultural event, revealed that Warhol had always been an impassioned collector. His influence as an arbiter of taste continued even after his death. The sale of his possessions, including his collection of all manner of appealing art and furnishing, influenced the retro styles of the late 1980s and 1990s. The estate of Andy Warhol took over his artworks and their reproduction. For example, in November of 2013, Warhol's silver car Crash Double Disaster sold at auction for $104.5 million, the highest price ever paid for one of Warhol's works. Warhol has been the subject of numerous books and feature documentary films. The Andy Warhol Museum holds an extensive permanent collection of art and archives and is the largest museum in the United States dedicated to a single artist. In a nutshell, Warhol's imagery can mainly be classified in four broad categories. Commercial products such as Brillo boxes and Heinz ketchup bottles, personality portraits of celebrities, 
modes of exchange such as trading stamps and bills, and disaster pictures of automobile accidents, electric chairs, gangster funerals, and race riots. So I've actually been to the Andy Warhol Museum in Pittsburgh for my undergrad class. We went there. Uh, it was my pop art class. And it was really cool. Like we saw his flowers. We saw Elvis, The Last Supper. He had some kind of like big saloons that you're allowed to play with. It was a nice museum. And they have a huge research center. And I think I saw some of his shoe drawings somewhere too. Oh, you are so fortunate. I would love to go there. So what did you find most fascinating about Warhol? That he took an initiative to make his unique work stand out, to be different from others' works at the time, and that his renowned signature style, defined by his fascination with consumer culture, showcased mundane objects as primary object, subjects. Uh, back during their origin, his works were definitely eye-catching. I remember that. And they'd make you say, wow. And they still remain to be an important part of popular art today. For more information on what Andy Warhol, you can check out some of our library resources, um, our online resources, such as Kelly mentioned earlier, as well as on our shelves. Search our catalog and you can find the DVD, Andy Warhol, a documentary film. This title is also available on Hoopla. For books on the shelves, you can find Warhol by Blake Gopnik, titled After Andy, Adventures in Warhol Land, uh, by Natasha Frazier Casanovi. Um, you can uh, explore our digital resource, again, Hoopla, and you will find Andy Warhol's Factory People by Catherine O'Sullivan. Well, the items discussed are available on our website, mcldaz.org. You can request them online and come into the library or schedule a curbside appointment using the My Libro app. Thank you to everybody for listening. Kelly and Roxy from the Northwest Regional Library signing off. Thank you for listening to Shelf Logic. Make sure to hit subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Follow us on social media where we are at mcldaz.org. 